All right, good morning, folks. Good morning, Calvary Chapel. Woo! Great day to be in worshiping. It's raining. We've been having like these like good day, bad day things, huh? How was the wind for you guys this week? Really? You like the wind? It was pretty gnarly on Tuesday and Wednesday. But the surf was pretty gnarly too, and that's good. So yeah, so hey, if you're visiting today, we just want to welcome you. Man, that was awesome worship. I don't know about you, but I so need the worship before coming up to teach the word and for all of us to receive the word. It's such a blessing. That was that that was amazing. Um, I don't know if any of you guys saw on Instagram that uh, picture of that stadium that had like over 60,000 Christians all singing hallelujah to the Lord a cappello. Did anybody see that? Was it just me? Anybody? A few of you? Some of you are like, Pastor, you're on Instagram. Uh. <laughs> I'm just trying to bring a little light to darkness. I actually saw a really good uh, thing on Instagram. It was a picture of a church's marquee, and it was so awesome. It said, the only thing the Bible left out was your opinion. (laughs) Amen, right? Oh, Lord, just help me to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Well, hey, we are in chapter 10 of Hebrews, moving through the Bible, chapter 10 of Hebrews. I'm going to try to read it with not much light up here. Our lights went crazy. Our colored ones started flickering, so we couldn't leave them on. We had to turn them off. We didn't want anybody having seizures. It was like a strobe light up here. It was like a dance thing. Cindy told me to put on my, uh, what is it, studded shirt so I look like Elvis or something. All right, tough crowd. All right. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? You need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers are getting your Bible. Keep your hand up so they know it's you right behind you, bro. Right there. If you don't have a Bible, keep this one. It's it's all you. Compliments of the Lord. Okay, we're going to be looking at chapter 10 today. Um, We're going to try to get through 25 verses. Let's start out by the reading of... um, Let's go 12 or 13 verses, reading in. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of these things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged, should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, for it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither haddest pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. 
He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which, well, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Can you say amen to that? That every priest standing daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Shall we pray? Father, we, uh, we praise you for that, Lord God. That is amazing that you provide a way for us, Lord God, that you gave us your all, that you came down and paid the penalty for our sins because of your love for us. And Lord, I pray that you would just impact our hearts today to understand what a great thing you've done, what a privilege we have, Lord. May we be appreciative of all that you've done. And may we show our appreciation through our actions and our words. Pour out your Spirit on every one of us right now, Lord God. Let your Spirit take over in our lives. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. We ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I entitled the message, A Superior Sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the superior sacrifice. We've been looking at his superiority. This has been a great study. I don't know. Are you guys liking Hebrews? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. This is, this is the third time going through the book of Hebrews with this church. And it's like God just keeps showing me more and more because why? The Word's alive and living. And, you know, I come up to certain books that I've taught before, and I go, I got this. And then God just takes you so much deeper. And you're like, man, how did I miss that? How come I never saw that before? And so going through the book of Hebrews, we're just seeing Jesus superior on all levels. He, he points out that he's more superior than the angels, than the prophets, than the Levitical priesthood. He's more superior as a high priest. He's the greater high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He made a more superior entrance than any high priest could ever enter into. Because he entered into with his blood for us the tabernacle in heaven, which is superior to the model or the shadow or the type of a heavenly tabernacle that was made by men. He's superior to all the priests, including the high priest, because those priests were earthly men who had sins. And they had to take care of their own sins before they could deal with the sins of the people. Jesus Christ had no sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the most holy sacrifice. He was the purest sacrifice. He was the greatest sacrifice. To think that God would come down from heaven, the God that created you, and look at you and say, you failed, you've sinned, but I love you so much, I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm not only going to forgive your sins, I'm going to grant you eternal life and an inheritance. That's good news. Woo. See, the problem with the old covenant was that they were coming day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, offering up animals to cover their sins, never having it taken away. And their focus was constantly on their sin because, you know, I blew it today. Oh, gosh, i got to start getting animals ready. i got to take care of this. 
Aren't you glad we don't have to do that today? Aren't you glad that Jesus took care of it? Can you imagine every week just, just man, I, I, I got to better find another lamb. Got to go to church. Got to slaughter that thing in front of everybody. I'm a sinful person. See, the old covenant, a sacrifice was only good to cover the sin. Jesus took it away. Cast it as far as the east and the, from the west and remembers your sins no more. Why would they want to go back to a religious system that does not work? Why would you want to go back to something that just covers your sin when you could have someone who takes away your sin? Jesus was the greatest sacrifice of all times. And, and what the writer here is doing so strategically is he's just hammering her away at the point that Jesus Christ is superior. He is the greatest sacrifice of all time, and he's trying to tell them that the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. Everything was a shadow. Everything in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was pointing to a Messiah that would come. And Jeremiah spoke of he would bring a new covenant, a better covenant. That he would pay for our sins. Jesus Christ, the superior sacrifice. And showing from the Old Testament the progression and all the prophecies that everything pointed to the Lord. Because the volume of the book was written of him. On every page, Jesus Christ. Hello, hello, hello. Jesus, 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 Jesus. If you want to lead a Jewish person to the Lord, you got to do it in the Old Testament. And you say, well, how do I do that? Jesus is on every page. Everything points to him. See, there was a progression of sacrifices that took place from the very beginning. What's the oldest book in the Bible? Anybody? Job. Gosh, you guys are good. So Job and Genesis were about the same time. And when you see Job and when you see Abraham offering up sacrifices, they're offering up sacrifices for everyone in their family. Every individual needed a sacrifice for their sins. But once you got to the book of Exodus, we saw God institute Passover. When he instituted Passover, we saw one sacrifice for an entire family. The blood was over the doorpost. The angel passed by, passed over. When you get to Leviticus, we see the Day of Atonement where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year and offer up a sacrifice for the entire nation. So you see the progression? Genesis, a sacrifice for each individual. Exodus, a sacrifice that covered the whole family. Leviticus, a sacrifice that covered the whole nation. Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice once and for all for the entire world. No more sacrifices needed. He finished it at the cross. And he sat down at the right hand of God. He could only sit down. Why? Because the work was done. You go into the Holy of Holies, you go into the holy place, there's no place to sit. There's no bench, there's no chair. Because the work was never done. It was a constant repetition day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year of offering sacrifices to cover sin. And I'm so glad we don't have to do that anymore. I'm so glad that we have a God that loves us so much that he paid the price for our sins and was the final sacrifice once and for all. Verse 1 of chapter 10 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come. 
and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. It couldn't do it. It only covered it. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. If it worked, then why did they keep doing it? For the worshipers, once purified, will have had no more conscience of sins, but they thought about their sins constantly. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Only Jesus Christ could. He said that these things were just a shadow, a picture, a model, a type of heavenly things. The tabernacle, just a shadow, a model, a picture of a heavenly thing. The offerings, just a shadow, a model, a picture of a greater sacrifice. So what's better, the shadow or the real thing? You know, when you're sitting alone, let's say you're up on a mountain, you did a hike, you're all by yourself. Or let's say you're down at the beach just enjoying the day, looking out on the ocean, and you're all by yourself, and you're just, you know contemplating the day and all of a sudden a shadow appears in front of you well you you quickly realize someone's standing behind you so do you talk to the shadow or do you talk to the person do you start talking to the shadow or do you turn around and talk to the person you talk to the person why it's better you don't look like a crazy and just like when you're gone somewhere and you're away from your family or you're away from your spouse and you have a picture in your wallet and you're looking at your family you're looking at your spouse every day that's awesome that's great you got something to reflect on and to think about and to pray for but when you return home and you're standing in that gate at the, at the airport and you see your family you don't pull out your photo and go oh man i miss those guys because you got the real deal right in front of you. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, so what's better, a shadow or a picture or the real thing? And Jesus is the real thing. Here we see under the old covenant that the sacrifices they gave were just a treatment for sin. It was just a covering, but it was not a cure. Let me put it to you this way. It's kind of like cancer. When you have cancer, and I know that you guys, and I want to thank you guys. You've been praying for our, our son in Arizona with four-stage cancer. The, and then the trouble he had a few months ago where his brain swelled after the surgery. We thought we were going to lose him. He lost his memory. He lost the use of his legs. And you guys were praying. And we got out there, and they started doing this procedure which... Um, shrunk the, the, the swelling in his brain. He got back his memory. And he got back the use of his legs. And they've, they've kept it under control now. And he's doing good. That's your prayers. And not just that. They had their little baby boy two weeks ago. He's still doing his chemo. He's pain-free right now. And they're, they're doing treatments. And listen, treatments are good. Treatments are good. Treatments right now are keeping them alive. But you know what would be better? A cure. See, under the old covenant, 
those sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs, that was a treatment for sin. It, they were treating the problem, but it didn't solve the problem. Jesus Christ was the cure. And just like if we had cancer or anything else, we don't want to be treated. We want to be cured. And treatment's good. Treatment works, but you're always being treated. Jesus Christ came along and said, listen, I'm the cure. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Come to me and have eternal life. Whew, that's good news. The daily, the yearly sacrifices was a treatment and the treatment's good, but Jesus Christ is better. The old covenant put the focus on their sins daily. The new covenant puts our focus on Jesus daily. See, in the old covenant, all you ever did was you started thinking about your sin. You know, you get up in the morning, you trip on a Lego, you're like, ah! You didn't say it, but you thought it. And they're like, man! To get a sacrifice for that. You have a disagreement with your wife. Oh, gonna need a lamb for that one. I mean, the whole time under the old covenant, you were just going, man, blew it here. Tuesday, ooh, that was a failure. Wednesday, not bad. Thursday, lost it again. Friday, oh man. And you're coming with sacrifices. Aren't you glad that the Lord said, I forgive you and choose to forget your sin. See, so now here's the deal. You don't focus on your sin. You focus on Jesus. Okay? Amen. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, I'm not downplaying sin. I don't, I don't like it when we sin. I don't like it when I sin. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not justifying your sin. I'm just saying this. When you sin and you come to the Lord and you ask for forgiveness... He's faithful and just to forgive you of all sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And say, okay, buddy, let's get back on track. And here's the thing. If I keep my eyes on Jesus and not my performance, my performance will be better. If I keep my eyes and my focus on Jesus daily, I will be not sinning like normal. Oh, I'll blow it and I'll fall short, but I'll be stronger. Why? I'm keeping my eyes on the King of Kings. And that's a good thing. But let me just warn you that whenever you step forward for Jesus Christ and you want to do something good for Him, what happens? The attack. If you sign up for ministry here, before you write your name down, pray for the armor of God. Because I guarantee somebody's going to rub you raw before you leave. You say, Pastor, it's church. Nobody's going to do, oh yeah, they're all sinners. <laughs> We're a work in progress, right? It's not a museum here for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. We're all a work in progress. We make mistakes, we get in the flesh. And when you want to step forward for Jesus, you're going to come under attack. You're going to step in and become a deacon or an elder or a pastor. Oh my gosh, get ready. Be ready, it's coming. And you know what happens when you want to step forward for Jesus? Satan loves to do this. This is what Satan loves to do. He loves to whisper in your ear, not worthy, not worthy. And how many Christians have bought into that? 
You're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get involved in ministry at the church, and Satan comes along and he says, you know what, you're pathetic. What about that thing you said yesterday? What about that thing you did last week? You call yourself a Christian, your walk with God stinks. You know what I'm talking about. Satan throws me a pity party all the time, and I join everyone. How many times have we bought into the lies of the enemy? And then you go to Jesus and you go, man, Satan told me I'm a loser. He said I'm pathetic. He says I'm worthless. He says my walk with you stinks. You know what God says? He says, why are you listening to him? Next time he comes saying that kind of stuff, you remind him of his future. Greater is me that's in you, not him. Don't listen to him. Listen to me. I'm telling you, I got this. I'm telling you, I'm going to give you the power. I'm telling you, I've forgiven your sins. I'm telling you, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to help you to do the job I've called you to do, and you're going to complete it, and you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Check out all the great men of the Bible. They were losers. We fit in. I love it that the Bible shares the downfalls of all the men in the Bible so you and I can say, I got a chance. Gosh. King David was like considered one of the greatest. Greatest king, man after God's heart, murderer, adulterer, drunkard. There's hope. Praise the Lord. All right, I got off track. Let's go back to <laughs> verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, speaking of Jesus, he said this. Now he's going to quote from Psalm 40 here. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. To do your will, O oh God. You know what we're witnessing right there? In Psalm 40, in the Old Testament, we're witnessing prophecy. We're hearing an inside conversation of Jesus Christ and the Father. Is that crazy or what? And right there, back then, way back then, when they were still offering sacrifices, Jesus is saying to the Father, you know, you take no pleasure in that. You take no pleasure in those sacrifices. You have no desire for those things, but what God was really looking forward to was the greatest thing of all, the Father to offer His Son for many. And that should rock your world. He did not desire the sacrifices of blood of the, of the blood of bulls and goats, but the only one that would ever mean anything at all was the real sacrifice, the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Jesus speaking to the Father in the Old Testament with prophecy, the writer showing them from the Old Testament that God had no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins. 
In verse 7, he says, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. I like that. You want to underline that, to do your will, O God. Underline that. Ask yourself, are you doing the will of God? Jesus' main concern was to do the will of the Father. They were on the same page. They were equal. But there was an order that he shows you and me, and he shows you by example as an order in heaven. Jesus said, I never do anything unless the Father tells me. I never say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. They were on the same page. They were equal. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one. But Jesus understood the importance of doing the will of the Father. Do you understand the importance of doing the will of the Father? That's the real question. In verse 7, he says that the whole Bible points to Jesus. You should be able to share Jesus from every page of the Bible. That's your homework. Get back to me. There was over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled while he was here on this earth. He said, Lord, you prepared a body for him. Before he even came to this earth, clothed in flesh, came down, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, in Psalm 40, he's saying, you prepared a body for me. There's, this was the plan. Why? Because God couldn't die. And in order for God to die for man's sins, he had to come down clothed in flesh. Fully man, fully God, because the body could die. God couldn't die, but the flesh could die, and he needed to come as a man to die for man. And he fulfilled over 300 prophecies while he was here. All right, you didn't get that. He fulfilled 300 prophecies while he was here. The probability of fulfilling five is impossible. Let me put it to you this way. The probability of Jesus fulfilling 300 prophecies would be the same as if you took the entire state of California and filled it six feet deep with nuts. <laughs> that could be prophetic, I don't know. You filled the entire state six feet deep with nuts. If you're from California, we love you. And you mark only one. And then you take Rocky, the flying squirrel from Bullwinkle, you fly him over the state of California, and you tell him, jump out anywhere, and he falls down to, in parachutes down to the, the, the California, and the first nut he reaches in to grab is the one that's marked. That's the probability of Jesus fulfilling 300 prophecies. How could you look at that and say, I don't believe the Bible? The Bible has prophesied of kingdoms that would rise and fall. It's happened according to the scriptures. People in the scriptures that the historians would say, oh, the Bible's wrong. That guy was never around. They unearthed them. Archaeologists unearthed things that proved that guy was real. The Bible has been 100% accurate for thousands of years. I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm going to put my trust in the Word of God. In verse 8 it says, Previously saying, 
sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, offer offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are of which are often offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second, speaking of the covenants, but that, but that will we have been sanctified through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And so what we're seeing in those passages right there is a fulfillment of Psalm 40 because Jesus Christ offering himself once and for all has paid the price for our sins. The Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ. In verse 9 he says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first covenant that he may establish the second covenant. Why? Because the second covenant's better. And when you've discovered better, why do you go back to worse? I mean, if you can get a credit card for 2% interest, why would you go get a credit card for 29% interest? Well, we've always done it that way. If Jesus can take away your sins forever, why would you go back to something that couldn't? This is what the writer is pleading with them over and over and over again. He's saying it's done, paid in full. Jesus did it. No sacrifice can do what Jesus Christ did. And not only the sacrifices that they were going back to, having the knowledge of Jesus Christ but returning back to the law, and, and going back, knowing, being enlightened about what Jesus did, but choosing to go back to offering up animals, it not only did not forgive your sins, but it no longer even covered your sins. Because the finished work of the cross stopped it. So now your sins aren't even getting covered. Why would you go back to that? Practical application. Well, you might say, listen, <laughs> yeah, Steve, come on. I'm not going to go back to animal sacrifices. Not like I'm going to be like cutting the throats of lambs and goats. And Yeah, I'm not getting caught up in that stuff. I get it. But you might turn to something else to substitute Christ. And Jesus said, I take no pleasure in what you're doing. Jesus is saying to some of you today, you're pursuing that? You've made that more important than me? You say you're a Christian, but you know, drugs have taken over. You say you're a Christian, but you know what? Money has taken over. Oh gosh, so easy, the money. I've got to get the money. Money is not the root to all evil. It's the love of money. And some people love money more than Jesus. They, they make excuses. They don't serve Jesus. They don't come to church. And we're going to talk about the importance of coming to church real soon. Because they have to get the money. Do they love God? I bet they do. Will they go to heaven? Most likely. I, I mean, I don't know the heart of people. But I, I know there's a lot of people that love Jesus. They know what he did. They've accepted it. You're saved by faith and, and nothing else. But they're not doing anything for Jesus. They don't appreciate the grace that's been bestowed upon us. 
They don't got time for Jesus. They don't got time for church. They don't got, they, they, they can't, nah, I'll stop. Money becomes more important than Jesus. How about this? A relationship outside of marriage has become more important than God. And now you're making that number one. God's saying you're pursuing that. That's your God? Let every man examine his heart. Are you his? Because I know if Jesus came today, that somebody's going to show up for church next Sunday because they haven't truly given their heart to God. He says in verse 11, every priest that stands ministering daily and offering, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins, but this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from the time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds, and I will write them, and I will write them, and then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Woo! Praise the Lord. And he gives a quote there from Jeremiah 31. That I'll put my laws on their hearts and in their minds. And then he adds, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's the good news. That's the good news. The work is done. It is done. And I'll tell you what. Verse 17 there. Imagine how impactful that was to the Jewish believer. To, to have him say that he adds their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. <sighs> After all the years of the daily sacrifices, the weekly sacrifices, the monthly sacrifices, always being reminded of our sins day after day, year after year. Now God says, I removed it. I've cast it as far as the east is from the west, and I choose to remember it no more. How impactful that is for the Jewish believer. How impactful is that for you? Your sins have been forgiven. And he says, I don't even want to think about them. But isn't it funny how we always think about it? Isn't it, isn't it funny, like if we're losing the argument, we start reminding others about their sins from the past? Like as if you don't got nothing on you. I'm blown away that God not only forgives us, but he forgets and then he chooses to use us and then he chooses to give us the power to do what he's asked us to do and then he rewards us for that. That's like mind-blowing right there, amen? Verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter 
the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. Wow, this is a verse that hit me so hard. I think this, this time going around with the book of Hebrews is the first time I've seen this. Did you see it? When Jesus died on the cross, remember, there was three hours of darkness, right? The whole world was dark. It happened to be the middle of the day in Jerusalem. Darkness. An eclipse of the sun. Everybody was freaking out. But when he said it was finished, and he said, Father, receive me, the earth shook. And all the priests, because it was Passover, were busy doing stuff in the holy place, in the holy place. Everybody's busy, 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 busy. And all of a sudden, the earth shakes. They go, whoa, what was that? And this veil is torn from top to bottom. God ripped it in two from heaven on down. This is a veil that took over 100 priests to hang it. It was some 80 feet tall. Some say anywhere from 8 to 10 inches thick. Some even saying more. And God just ripped that thing like it was nothing. And those priests freaked out and ran out. And we know because the veil's been torn, we now have access to go boldly before the throne of grace. But what I never really saw before that God showed me this time around was that veil was Jesus. It says it right there. Through the veil that is His flesh, it's Jesus. When they tore Jesus' flesh, they were tearing the veil so that we could get in touch with the blood of Jesus. Because only the blood of Jesus washes you white as snow. How does that work? You moms know. Blood doesn't come out. It stains. Unless it's the blood of Jesus. Man. And having a high priest, like Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. God keeps his promises, guys. He says, draw near to him. You know, the Bible says in James, I love James, we're coming to that one next. He says, draw nigh unto God and he'll draw near to you. That's good news. Draw near unto God, He'll draw near to you. Who makes the first move? I'll try that again. Who makes the first move? You, you, us. What's that saying? That's saying God is telling you, I'm ready to have a relationship anytime you like. Amen. Amen. He says, pray without ceasing. That means He's willing to speak to you without ceasing. Draw near unto me and I'll draw near to you. He wants a relationship with you. He is the only person in your life that you have access to 
The only one. Even people that really care about you. We don't always have access to them, do we? We're all busy. But isn't it great that at any time, anywhere, we can go boldly before the grace of God and have fellowship. And that's what he wants more than anything. I was listening to Pastor Keone's message on Wednesday. It was great. You missed it. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you were here. But um, he was talking about how we get so busy that we don't have time for God. And even as a Christian, even as a pastor, we can get so busy doing the king's business that we're not spending time with the king. And he mentioned the letter to Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, where God was just applauding him for their good works. Man, you're, you're, you're standing up for truth. You're warring against these false prophets. I mean, you are on it. It's just awesome. You hate you know, this and you hate that. And, uh, but I got one thing uh, against you. You left your first love. You got so busy serving the king, you don't spend time with the king anymore. And I want that more than anything. You were doing the Martha syndrome and forgot to do the Mary thing. Do you remember that story? Martha and Mary, the sisters, Martha's fixing things for dinner. She's like frantic, and Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, and she comes out, and she goes off on Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that, going off on Jesus? Starts complaining about her sister. I'm back there, and I'm doing all this. I'm trying to get a meal ready for all you holy people. I can't believe I'm not getting any help. She's not back there helping me. She's down here sitting at your feet. And Jesus goes, you know what, Mary, uh, Martha, she, she chose the better thing. What's that saying to you and me? That, that, that says to you and me that we better be sitting at the feet of Jesus more than serving the king. Because if we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, we're going to serve the king better. And we are to do all this without wavering. So many times we can be one foot in the church, one foot out of the church. You ever, are you guys can relate to that? Have you ever waffled in your walk? Raise your hand if you've ever waffled in your walk. I got two hands up because I've really waffled. Okay, good. I just want to make sure I got the right crowd. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's a fight, right? It's a battle. And, and man, you know, it's like, you know, we want to do these things for Jesus and it feels so good. And then all of a sudden, ah, waffled. And God says, listen, I don't want you to waver. And the key to that is fully yielding unto God to keep your eyes on Jesus. You will not waffle. Make sure that every morning before you get out of bed, you're getting in contact with the King of Kings. You're recognizing that you were created for his good pleasure and you wake up not asking for things, but you wake up reporting for duty, sir. What do you got for me? I got some plans, but come in and mess them up. He's got better plans. God is faithful to deliver his promises to you. We're going to heaven, guys. We're getting some new bodies. Whew. No more pain, no more suffering, no more three jobs, no more tears. All things become new. Every day he's going to be blowing our minds with his grace. When we thought we saw it all, he's going, hey, you haven't seen this. Check this out. When you think you've eaten everything that's ever been amazing, and he shows up after 3,000 years and brings a meal to you that you never tasted, and you're just like, whoa. 
Are you kidding me? You've been holding this back for 3,000? That was amazing. He's going to be blowing our minds, guys. This, this, you shouldn't be attached to anything in this world. This place is a dirt bowl. Hello? Listen, he made this place in six days. He's gone to prepare a place for you for 2,000 years. I think it's a little better. He's a carpenter, right? Verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up or to provoke love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? Do you feel like Jesus is coming soon? Yes, he is. So what does he say? Don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. Now, you guys are here today, so you're doing awesome. But you know as well as I know, we've got a whole bunch of different Christians. We've got Christians that are, they're here every week. We've got Christians, and God love them, every other week. We've got some Christians that come once a month. We've got the CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. But in the midst of all that, listen, God is meeting them right where they're at. And I'm just here to encourage those people to get more Jesus. To take a step in a way that God can use you and grow you. He says the importance of the gathering of the brethren together. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. He said provoke each other to good works and to love. That means don't go around and point fingers like, hey, I didn't see you at church. Hey, maybe they had something to do. Maybe there was an emergency. Have a little grace. But it, like if you're working out at the gym or you're down at the beach surfing with your friends and you can look over them and go, hey, see you on Wednesday night, bro. That's provoking them to good works. That's doing it in love. I'll see you at church on Sunday. Hey, you want to go on a missions trip? Hey, bro, how about we just open up the Bible, read a chapter, and start talking? That's good stuff. Because the Lord is coming. And he wants to use you. And right now, some of you are letting the enemy whisper in the ear, saying, you know what? You can't be used by God. Look at all the church you miss. Don't you listen to that. Don't you for a moment listen to that. Oh, you can't be used by God. What about the way you spoke to that person the other day? Ooh, how was that language? Don't you listen to that. Just acknowledge that you're a work in progress. Because I guarantee, even though you blow it, you make mistakes, even though you blow it, you might curse somebody out, even though you blow it and sin... I can look at every one of you and say, you know what? You're not what you used to be. Because there was a time curse words were the every other word out of your mouth and you were punching everybody and taking no prisoners. Now you just curse once in a while and you've only hit one person this year. <laughs> you are doing better. I'm not condoning that at all. But there's growth. So let's stop looking at everybody what they're not and just look at how far they've come. Yes. And, and knowing this, that 
tomorrow they're going to be better. And by next year they're going to be better. Because God is sanctifying us. He's changing us from glory to glory. Let me close with this. If the worship team would come forward. God is changing us from glory to glory. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I should be. And I'm not what I'm going to be. Because God's still working in me. And he's given me the strength. The key is to yield. I'm going to read you one of my favorite passages. And it's about yielding. I'm going to ask you a question before I read this. I'm going to close with this. Um, what's the difference between a dead sacrifice and a living sacrifice? The dead one doesn't crawl off the altar. Right? So we are called to be a living sacrifice. But with that privilege and opportunity, when things get hot, we can climb off the altar. I'm going to do something for Jesus. You come under attack. Woo! Getting off that altar. Lord calls you to take a position. And it gets a little heated. Oh, I'm not going to do that. If you really want to be used by God, remember this. One key word, yield. What did Jesus say in the garden when he was praying at Gethsemane? He's saying, listen, if there's any other way by which man could be saved, let this cup pass, but not my will, but thy will be done. God is going to ask you to do things. It's not always going to be comfortable. He's going to get you out of your comfort zone. That's what he does. He gets you somewhere where you don't want to be to do his will. And afterwards you go, whoa, that's what you were doing. But you would never go there on your own. So you need to yield and get in a position where he can put you somewhere where you're uncomfortable so people can get saved. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Check this out. Which is your reasonable service? And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Thank you for your promises, Lord God. I just pray uh, for a blessing over everybody here, Lord. Lord, we, we come not looking around at everyone around us, but looking to you and asking you to change me. Change me. Help me to focus on my walk with you and not everybody else's walk. Help me to be an encourager, to love on those, to be able to come alongside someone and say, listen, I, I see you struggling. I, I just want to help you. I want to be there for you because I've been there. And Lord, may we come to one another in love and truth. 
And Father, we pray for a, just a, a move of the Spirit in our fellowship and on this North Shore. Fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. Give us strength as we step out into the mission field right now. Give us divine appointments, Lord God. And, and Lord, as we get those divine appointments and you just start stuff flowing out of our mouth that we could, as we're saying it, just be blown away and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you're speaking. May we recognize you working and moving in our lives, Lord God. May we rejoice over the fact that you even want to use us. And so, Lord, I pray that you give everybody confidence in you today. I pray, folks, that you would realize how much God loves you today and how much he wants to use you. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what you've been through. Jesus Christ, the Father in heaven, loves you. And his desires are for you, for you are good. And he wants to use you right where you're at right now. And so, Father, pour out your spirit on that defeated one. Pour out your spirit on that rejected one. Pour out your spirit on that broken one. Pour out your spirit on the one that needs to be healed right now. Pour out your spirit and use us to be a light that shines bright for your glory, that when men see our good works, they glorify the Father in heaven. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship.